Hello. Good evening. This thing on. Testing. Found it. Found that. It, it actually is on. It's uh, going to do like this. It's already up to uh, 16 seconds. We haven't done anything yet. Hey, um, we are in Ephesians 1, verse 7. And uh, there are people who would actually open up the book of Ephesians and uh, just read right through it and feel they have done it. <laughs> but uh, it's best to um, stand in a sense uh, for hours before uh, this chapter, uh, which is given to us by God through His Holy Spirit, and just gaze upon all that's in here, all the riches. You know, you, you keep discovering more and more in here. This is like a gold mine. It's incredible, all the uh, terms that um, are brought forth and we see the great doctrine, and of course, then we see though what uh, what really has happened to us too. Uh, we have been reminded that uh, salvation uh, starts with God, and God is the one who is the one who is really He's the blessed one, but He blesses us and gives us every spiritual blessing. And then we see in verse four that He chose us, and um, that we were to be holy, without blame. And then He predestined us that uh, we would be adopted, be brought into His family so that we would know Him. And this was all dealing with His good pleasure, is all dealing with His will. And to the utmost extreme element involved in here is to the praise of the glory of His what? Grace. It's about His great grace and His glory. And, uh, of course, that's it was because of Christ uh, that we are able to even gaze at this. We are brought into the Beloved. So then, starting at verse 7, after reflecting upon the Father, you see the Trinity in, in all these verses, in a sense, but yet the um, the stress there was the Father. Now we see what the Son did says in verse 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. This is all about God. This is all about Christ. This is um, it's about him, isn't it? It's what he has done. So when we see this, we, we are reminded about the method of salvation and how we are put into this. Uh, as uh, the body of Christ, as each individual, we see the great blessings. And it's by uh, the payment um, we saw last week uh, uh, dealing with redemption. There had to be a payment for this. And now we're told the very first thing that we realize as a result of us being delivered, as a result of, of our sin being paid for, is the forgiveness of sins in verse 7. In Him we have redemption. That's what we looked at last week. Through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. And that is the first thing that we uh, we look at. Uh, we learn what makes all this possible, 
and that is in the, the next proceeding section. It's the riches of His grace. So we're forgiven, and not only are we forgiven, but um, it protrudes into something much more than even that, even as incredible as that is, and it's all coming out of the riches of His grace. His riches. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for who You are and what You have done. And just a little bit of uh, reading in Your Word there tonight, here in the first uh, few verses of this great grand book that You've given us, uh, showing a little bit of Your purpose and Your great plan, Your will, uh, all about Your pleasure. It's all for Your glory. And uh, we see what... uh, you have done, and uh, this salvation, uh, this redemption that brings forgiveness and that we can be here free of the guilt of uh, the sin that would be upon us, uh, weighted upon us, and knowing, fully realizing that that sin has been lifted and it's not only been taken off of us, uh, but has been cast away forever and not to be held against us and your judgment. You are a God that judges sin. You are a God of wrath, but uh, that has been taken away. Thank you so much. May we ever be thinking on that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, how does God forgive us? It's because what happened in Christ. Now, any time that Scripture talks about redemption, it always starts with forgiveness. Because once we've been bought out, uh, then the forgiveness of sins has to be brought forth. What's the problem that, uh, and God never really has a problem, He's going to solve it, but if you were to put it in a human term, what's the problem that God has with humankind knowing their nature? God is perfect. God is just. God... Um, is righteous. He cannot just overlook our sins and say, it's okay, you're forgiven, come on in. He can't do that, can he? Because of his very nature. And we know that he's already talked about blood in verse 7 in that, uh, that first phrase. We're redeemed by his blood. Nothing but the shedding of the blood, right? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We could sing that, couldn't we? Bill, could you start off with a verse of that? <laughs> uh, not this <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so God couldn't just forgive by saying, okay, um, I'm going to put a word out here just like I uh, said before. Let there be light. Let, let Bill be forgiven. That's it. Let's just call it that. Let's, it's okay. Right? He couldn't do that. Can't do that. He had to leave the courts of uh, of heaven. He had to come all the way to earth, and be born as a babe, and suffer and die, and then shed his blood for us for that uh, that payment. It was difficult. He had to go through some extreme measures, didn't he? So it was hard as he became a human to do that. So there was a problem in forgiving the sins. God already has this figured out. But at the same time, it uh, it has to be done. So what God does then is whenever 
he comes to the uh, person in time, the person that he's already chosen, he has to come and expose the sin. And uh, via the Word of God or via the law, he makes people realize their sin. It's painful. It, I think it's ve- it should be very painful for one to realize where they're really at, that they need forgiveness. I mean, really need forgiveness. Bill. Would it be a stretch to say that it's easier to explain to a person or, or to realize as a person that we are sinners than it is for us to realize or explain the doctrine of the Trinity? Because when because as you were explaining the Trinity and that God had to become man in order for the redemptive plan to take place, that is more of a mystery than telling me that I'm a screw-up. You know, you know what I mean? It's, that's, I mean, that, that is, that's, that's the hardest part to, to get your head around. Yeah. And, 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 in, and in humankind, I mean, we have the Word and we have the doctrine, but it, it's just so hard to understand, you know, that, that that's just the way that it is. You're right. As a matter of fact, this that probably uh, sets that up as we oh, gosh, go further. Okay, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. We, uh, wisdom and prudence. This is a lecture. Not a <laughs> wisdom and understanding. <laughs> no, that's right. They need to know where they're really at. Where they're at, where God is at. They need to know that God is holy. He's perfect. They need to know they're not. Well, they probably might already know that, but they don't really know it. They think, well, they're still pretty good. But they can be cut down to the point of realizing that they well, they have I, nothing to offer God. We'd a lot, ra- you know. I'm speaking for myself. We'd a lot rather struggle with that Trinity idea than struggle with my sin. Yeah, because that's personal, isn't it? You have to get to my sin, you know. But I'm a good person. Please next to the guy down the street. <laughs> well, so when you're talking to an unbeliever, that's that's really where you really have to start. You know why? Why talk about all the other deep things when they don't even understand the most basic thing, which is their need is? Do, I mean, they do it to me all the time. I'm trying to talk to them about about their sin and about you know the, what Christ did on the cross, and they want to talk about angels. Yeah. <laughs> all the other stuff. Or the peripheral, right? Or, yeah, those are mysteries. Well, it's a lot more interesting. It, it, and, yeah, but it's you know, in the beginning, for you know, for for us to really get to where we need to be, it it really. I don't want to say it's not important, <laughs> but but it really doesn't. It doesn't really have any effect. What's on the great? Yeah. Get there. What's their greatest need? Well, and that that is one of the great things. I mean, and I, as I was reading in uh, one of Dennis's Donald Miller books, which is available in aisle three at Alpha and Omega, <laughs> um, when we compare, one of our greatest sins is that we compare ourselves to others, and others compare themselves to others, and others compare themselves to others, and the more you do that, the vicious circle yeah. continues. And, and what's in, what's the stand? Where do they really have to look at? Again? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's no the human thing to do. If we're looking at Christ, there's no comparison here. And when we look at Christ uh, and we see that we are so far short, 
there's where the pain comes in. There's where the humbling comes in. There's where we, people see themselves as they really are. We want to cover it up naturally and and not look at it. But when the law comes in and defines the sin and unmasks it and takes it off for what it really is, then the cross, that's really what we're really looking at here, makes us see ourselves without Christ as as worms. You know, as the Puritans use that much, you know, as miserable, guilty sinners. And that's the best place that an unbeliever can be when they realize that and see their need and want then the forgiveness that uh, that is there waiting uh, to heal that tremendous wound. So anyway, yeah, God has to expose that sin and He does it by by the law. And it's a good thing, but it, it's a painful thing. And so forgiveness it means that forgiveness of sins. You know, how seriously uh, do people take that idea of, of sins? Where, what is it done? Where does it put them at? What's their condition? So that's that's how I think evangelism always has to start. And if they've already seen that, then we can go on then to the good news. Bring the bomb of Gilead in, right? Um, the word forgiveness. It's interesting, uh, Zach was actually Zach Whitson, Zach W. here, was back in the reference room looking up the word remission. Because I think we were in Hebrews last week, and you wanted to know which word that was, but you didn't interrupt me at the time. And I probably couldn't have told you which that was for sure unless I'd had a Greek text here. But it is in Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins or... Forgiveness of sins. That's the uh, same root word. That's the idea. That's what remission is or uh, forgiveness here. The word is a fist to me. Uh, and so when you see it in other places, you'll see what that means. It means to send away, to let it go, to let go just like a debt. Ah, oh, yeah. You ever had a debt and the debt now is gone? It's paid? <laughs> you guys know how good that is feeling? <laughs> it's gone. A fist to me. That's that's the idea. So when you see the, especially in Hebrews, without uh, the shedding of blood, there is no remission. You say, what is that word? Remission, it's forgiveness. It's the same same word related to that. So the forgiveness of sins, or the epistemate, the, the sending away. Um, before we get to according to the riches, let's take a few of those verses that deal with the sending away of sins, go to Psalm 103.12, which is probably the most used of the saints. We love this verse. You know which one it is? 103 verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, what? So far has he removed our transgressions from us. He removed, forgave. Remember that the Greek word in the New Testament means to uh, send away. Here he removed it. He sent it away. And as far as I know, the east is from the west. That's a that's an eternity. <laughs> that is so basic that needs to be taught. How could one, if their sins are all gone, 
and I mean that's all the sins, how could one ever lose their salvation? Just based upon that, if the sins are gone, he has nothing to put on you again. I know they'll usually use, well, you decided to turn your back on him. Right? That that would be the next Well, that would be a, a sin, wouldn't it? All the sins have been removed. If one is truly a Christian, they are all gone. That's one verse. But let's let's uh, stay in the Old Testament and let's see right out of the Old Testament where else some verses dealing with absolute forgiveness has been done. Jeremiah 31, the great covenant, new covenant chapter. This is a new covenant chapter in the Old Testament. 31, 34, I think. Right at the end of 34. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Sins aren't there. God doesn't remember. God forgot? (laughs) That means they've been cast away. Can't hold them against us. I think that says a lot, doesn't it? They're cast away. As far as the east is from the west. Here, God does not remember the iniquities, the sin, anymore. um, Isaiah 44. Back up a book there. 44.22. There are a lot of verses dealing with this just out of the Old Testament. That's good news, isn't it? Can you actually find the good news in the Old Testament? (laughs) Absolutely. I don't care what book you're in in the Old Testament. You'll find the Gospel there. I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions, and like a cloud your sins. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. (laughs) I uh, bought and paid for you. I blotted them out. Your transgressions, your sins, I blotted them out. Just, uh, Just like this. A lot better than that. You can still read that up there like that. Yeah, those white markings. If I took a a wet sponge and went over it, maybe I could get all that out of there. But the blot, blotted it out. It's done. Micah, chapter 7. Some of these sound familiar? These are good to turn to when you think about forgiveness of sins. This is This is good news, isn't it, folks? Micah 7, 18 and 19. Right at the end of Micah. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity, passing over the transgression of the remnant of His heritage? He does not retain His anger forever because He delights. I like that. He really enjoys it. He really takes delight in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. There's a song that um, somebody had out about audio two years ago. Yeah, Audio Adrenaline. Ocean Floor. Ocean Floor. floor. Anybody ever heard that? <laughs> I'll do. <laughs> They've been cast into the depths of the sea. That's a good analogy to be brought forth in the sense that uh, they're gone. Okay, let's go to New Testament a little bit. That's, Old Testament has a lot to say about it. Uh, when you're thinking of uh, 
fulfillment of some of the Old Testament um, theology, it's good to go to Hebrews. And so we turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17. And he actually quotes here something that we just read. Then he adds, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Do you know where that came out of? Sound familiar? Came right out of Jeremiah 31. The sins will be not remembered. Remission. Forgiveness. It's a done deal. Go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you. For His name's sake. For His name's sake. That's an interesting light to read there, isn't it? He did it for His sake. But what what I want to emphasize here, little children, what's the first thing that a believer knows? He knows he has a father and he knows his sins are forgiven. That's where everything starts. may not know much of anything else. You're just a little kid, a little infant or whatever. You know your daddy, you know. Little children, their sins are forgiven. And you know you're loved. That's it. That's that's a, you don't know much, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know all, all that you need to know at that time. Your sins are forgiven. I am forgiven. Sanctus Real has that song. I am forgiven. It's a big hit right now. I like it. It's real biblical. Okay, uh, Ephesians. Uh, don't, don't go to Ephesians yet. Colossians two thirteen. Just tracing through some of these verses that we all take comfort in. Just really good to know. You being dead and your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. <laughs> not most of them. Not all your past ones but all. All of them. They were wiped out. Next verse goes on to say, uh, handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. It's it's victory there, but um, no longer uh, are those sins held against us. Now, go back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Forgiveness of sins. Very last one. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. He forgave us. And, of course, he tells them here, here's what your action is. Now you are required to forgive others. Uh, Any trouble with that, Penny? I know I do. I think it's great that he did it for me. Let's just leave that alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> the first three chapters of Ephesians are great, man. It's all doctrine. Chapter 4 says, okay, here's what you have to do. <laughs> Sanctification. Okay. <laughs> all right. Um the forgiveness of sins uh, this next phrase is incredible the forgiveness of sins according 
to the riches of His grace. Now you get into this whole idea of what is it that makes forgiveness possible? What makes (coughs) forgiveness possible? It's the infinite riches of God's wonderful grace. That glorious grace that He has. It's infinite. The riches. How rich is His grace? goes on and on and on and on. That infinite we don't get, do we? So, if the riches of God's grace are apprehended or understood in the sense of we start to recognize the price, that's where it starts. We know that God gives His Son. The Father gives the Son. The Son pays the price with His blood. It gave His life. gave His blood. Uh, that's quite a price. Quite the price. An incredible price. Another way of recognizing how rich His grace is, and this is just hitting the tip of the iceberg, how, how much can we know all the great riches, but to know that it's totally given freely. Absolutely free. There is nothing free. Nothing is free except God's grace, is it? It's always some little catch at everything. When God gives, He doesn't give begrudgingly. Oh, okay. I guess I'll save that Helton down there. I really don't want to do this. (laughs) He gives with absolute liberality. I mean, now there is the, the chief liberal of them all. In, in its in its rightly defined way, God is liberal in in the way that He gives, unbegrudgingly, in the perfect way. <laughs> what, what I find surprising, what not really what I find surprising, but what others find surprising, is who He gets His grace to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I still find yeah. that a little surprising. <laughs> Well, that's where the uh, the whole aspect of mercy comes in. Your chapter two, verse four. But God, who is what rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us. Perfect love. Perfect mercy. Great mercy. Uh, Ephesians 3.8 talks about some riches. To me, Paul says, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the what? The unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of of Christ is, is in another translation. Is, is that where he calls himself the chief of sinners, or is that in Romans? I think there's one in um, in Timothy. Okay, I believe. I think uh, he is. Um, 
very early, maybe uh, first chapter. Okay. Chief of Sinners. I think there's another place there too. I always relate to that. When we realize that, we, <laughs> you know, that's 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 where we need to be. We need to see that we are. If Paul was a chief of sinners, my, what what was I? He was trusting absolutely in the law, and if anybody followed the law, it was himself. His uh, riches are they're unsearchable. Can't really find out the the depth. They're unfathomable. They're inexhaustible. Uh, his and then to realize that this is he gives so liberally. It's, he didn't give a little bit of his riches, but it's in, entirely from his riches that, that he does this, and, it, and it's it's full. This is, uh, in the absolute sense, full forgiveness. That has to take a lot. Without getting too far off topic, I, I'm thinking Paul says, of whom I am chief. Is there any significance that he says I am chief rather than I am chief? I don't think that's off topic at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. It is 1 Timothy. Um, one. Fifteen. Yeah. Fifteen. That would be present tense. Are you, are you asking if he was speaking metaphorically or literally? No, I'm asking if that has any significance to the tense, whether it's present tense for him or past tense. I just assume that he did mean himself at Yeah, he's saying I, I am first. It's a, it's a, an order. Uh, in uh, rank, as far as as far as he's ranked in in order, he's he's declaring himself first there, um, and of course we know, like Carolyn was just saying, I mean he persecuted the church and he he blasphemed God to uh, the the utmost uh, in the way that he was doing this. Uh, we know that he was a changed man. Uh, I I don't think that he is the practicing sinner that uh, he once was because he's absolutely changed. And he goes on to the next verse, says, However, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all along. So in me, if I'm that bad, look how great God is to be able to bring me to where I'm at. Look, look at the grace. He's magnifying God's grace here in, in uh, the kind of life that he, that he had. And he's still saying that 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 in this section he's still saying that is present tense. He is the chief. That is the correct translation. The, uh, yeah, yeah. See, I, yeah. The way I see he's saying that, you know, that at that point in time in the list of sinners he is he is the chief. And then he 
well, he will be. It, the way he's right, the way he's stating this here, he always will hold that as the chief of sinners until Christ saves him. Yeah, you're right. The, uh, the more he's grown in Christ, the more he becomes aware of his sins. Yeah, uh, that happens to all of us, doesn't it, too? The more we know who Christ is and what He has done, the more aware we are of what we once were and what we're capable in our own flesh. Yeah, that's a good point. What's also interesting is, is Paul is, was worse than us, but he also ended up being better than us. <laughs> because he presided over the stoning of Stephen. I mean, I've never presided over anybody's stoning. <laughs> Thought about yeah. it. I'm thinking it's only because I didn't have the opportunity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, look in 1 Corinthians 15.9. We have another one of these least ofs. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle. That's the apostle Paul. So I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. And then he gives the reason, and we've talked about this, because I persecuted the church of God. But then, verse 10, and he always has the but. But the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. First Corinthians 15, 9. And, um, of course, you have to think of uh, Philippians 3, that uh, section there where he's talking about what he had been, and then he counted it all as as rubbish and and trash, um, all that life, all the stuff that he had done. And um, Philippians 3, uh, verse 7, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, and be found in Him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So he knew full well. He is constantly... On the subject of grace, and whether we happen to be in Ephesians, whether we happen to be in Corinthians, Timothy, you're going to see Paul magnifying God's grace to as much as he possibly can via the Holy Spirit. He always will mention that. That is what is in the back and front of his mind, everything that he writes, and it's, it's to the praise of the glory of his grace, isn't it? Because he realized where he was at. And, of course, we all <laughs> have to see that uh, our works are as filthy as his. And we are uh, we were guilty sinners. Mercy, grace, plays a key role in uh, Paul's theology, doesn't it? Take it to the ultimate extreme. Yeah, I don't think he ever got enough of it. And we're going to continue to see it in this little letter of Ephesians. <laughs> That's what we're here. I think one of the best things that we can do in our lifestyles, in our lives that we have here, is to proclaim the glory of God's grace. 
I can't think of anything better than, than to bring that forth. And that brings in, that's talking about bringing the gospel to the lost. Or it's talking about sharing the glory of God's grace with God's people. Wherever you're at, you know, you can, you can act like Paul and say, I'm the chief of sinners. And look what, how that had to take an abundance of grace to save me. So, and that's, that's what Paul does so often there. He was very humbled. Very humble man, but uh, it was by the work of Christ that even did that. Forgiveness is absolutely assured, isn't it? Now, he can say this confidently. Forgiveness means access to God. That we can go boldly before the throne. And we can go to Him and uh, realize that uh, He hears us. He wants uh, us to be in His presence. And it means He dwells right in our heart. Forgiveness is very deep. The the infinite uh, grace that is there, the, the gift is incredible. If we think we're paupers, P-A-U-P-E-R, just think um, that you don't have to be held down by those rags anymore. Realize the riches that you have in Christ. The riches of His grace. According to the riches of His grace, uh, the best thing that could be given to us. How would we like it if we still had the bondage of sins, the sin hanging on us. And now what he does is he takes the next phrase. God not only forgives us, but he gives us the necessary equipment to be able to understand some of these things and obey him. He equips us to be able to understand some of the things that we have been talking about that are so Deep, <laughs> to understand what forgiveness means. Even to understand that, just the basic. That's where verse um, verse 8 hits. And he has a word here which uh, he uses a lot, quite a bit in Ephesians, which he made to abound, to supersede, I mean to... Um, to superabound. I, I can't think of another word. Anything that would have the word super to it. You know... To go way beyond. How do you how do you use this? Well, it's I think that's where the English language or the the Greek language for Paul. Is, how far do you take it? Whatever the biggest word there is, his his riches abound, and he made them abound. He didn't give a little bit to us and said, "Hey, there you are. You're saved. You're forgiven now." <laughs> he uh, he shares his riches with us. And he's already said in verse 3, who has blessed us with every, I don't know what all this means, but every spiritual blessing. And some of that we experience right now. and Because uh, we are in eternal life right now, aren't we? We've already entered into that, but there is more and even more to come, better to come. But it's, it's just fantastic what we even have now to, to think what he's given us. Because God has revealed... Christ, he's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Can can anyone come to the New Testament and read and understand the message? Can anyone just come up there and just start reading it and hey, oh, I get it? No. It has to be granted for them to be able to understand those things. Uh, we know that anything at all that that God gives is an act of sovereign grace. Nobody can understand the things of God. Even something that seems so simple to us as salvation. 
The lost world cannot understand that. They cannot understand creation. They come up with the craziest things of how this world began. And they have the craziest things of how it's going to end or uh, how their lives are, uh, what they're going to do after uh, this life. They come up with all sorts of things. Just draw it out of thin air. There's truth to them. But in, in this instance, there's no such thing as the public's right to know. God doesn't give the right for everybody to understand Him. Matter of fact, if we were to compare it to all the numbers that we know, Jesus said, few there be that find it. Although there will be very many who are going to be in the presence of God in heaven. But the natural things, or the natural man, receives not the things of God. He doesn't want them. He doesn't pursue them. Doesn't matter how much that you tell him, and that you'd just like to beat him over the head till he understands. How many times have you talked to people? Don't you get it? And you'd love to get into their head and make them understand it, and we can't. It's impossible. All we can do is offer the law and the gospel, and that's part of God's word. That's a part of our refining as well is to help us to understand that we can't, mm. that beating people over the head with it isn't going to do any good. We sure would love to sometimes. Boy. Yeah. If we can get that. Yeah. If it's not granted, how can we get that to them? We can't. The beauty of it is, though, we can keep praying. And, and when the opportunity keeps uh, coming uh, about, that we keep bringing forth that, and we would desire that they would be saved, uh, there's no guarantee, but the fact of the matter is, we don't ever know when that time would be that the Lord might save them or might not. So we never give up. As far as we know, we can't pull off, pull back their shirt, and it says E on there, elect. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Wisdom is necessary, though. It's necessary that it that it comes from God. And uh, if you look back at the ancient Greek philosophers, you look back at the time uh, of Christ, time of Paul, especially here is as you think of um, as he wrote in uh, different places, like in Corinthians. We might turn there in a moment. The the great philosophers, uh, the Greeks, who were so heralded. You know, they were the great men of the world. Uh, they sought after understanding. They really wanted the wisdom. As a matter of fact, what does philosophy mean? Lover of wisdom. To love wisdom. Philosopher. Philae is, uh, is love, and Sophie is wisdom. And so that's where we get into this word Sophia, which is which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom. Oh, there we go. Oh, no. I, remember her? <laughs> okay. Getting a little bit of uh, Greek and Italian there mixed up. I didn't think it All right. This word is the understanding of ultimate things. 
the understanding of ultimate what? What's ultimate things? Life and death, God and man, righteousness, unrighteousness, righteousness and sin, eternity, yeah? all those things. Those are some of the most important things that anybody can ever have. And you begin to wonder that the, the world out there is, is crazy. You know, the evolution thing. That is the most ridiculous thing. And then the homosexuality. And then now we've got... I mean, the world is just exposing how sinful it is. The same-sex marriage. Abortion. Almost everything now you differ from um, from that kind of philosophy. But this word is, is dealing with this, this kind of thought. Uh, it's understanding these kind of things. And so as we look at it, the riches of His grace brings it to you so that you can understand what now seems so basic to you. Where you came from. Where you're going. What uh, life is all about. All those important things. What God is about. What what man is about. Uh, you ask those basic questions that everybody should ask to somebody who doesn't know these things and they'll give you anything. Some of it's just almost laughable and you try to restrain yourself but they they don't know these things. Yeah, circular reasoning. Yeah. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 1 which we've turned to many times. It seems to be old hat with us but realize that the understanding that we have it's not because of our great intellectual minds and you might have an intellectual mind that's really great. But that really doesn't come into play here because this stuff comes from God. One twenty six. Foresee your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, but not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. <laughs> and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. Go over to 1 Corinthians 2. Okay, Dennis, we got the point. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we need to go anywhere else. And you imagine who he's writing this to? Mm -hmm. The Corinthian people who came from that philosophy and had heard these guys. They went to the Acropolis. They heard these guys. They knew what they were talking about. However, verse 6 of chapter 2, We speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age, who are coming to... Look at this. Nothing. That's pretty bold, Paul. <laughs> you know what he's just said? Those great leaders, those great philosophers, they're coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the ages for our glory which none of the rulers of this age knew. 
For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, here we go, Eye is not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. That's right out of the Old Testament. Right out of Isaiah. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. He has apocalypsis, revelation, revealed, unveiling, and uncovering. He has unveiled them to us through His Spirit. That means they were veiled before. For the Spirit teaches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. Have you felt you've, as you look at God's Word, how deep it is now? Granted, I'm not saying we've we've fathomed these depths, but I'm just saying just to even touch on some of this is incredible, isn't it? The deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. The only way you can know God is because the Spirit has taught you that. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. No charge. It's out of His riches. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of of Christ. Is this the Holy Spirit that holds us? I'm not looking for the right words. That makes us to maintain the Word of God in our minds, in our hearts. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's yeah. He doesn't reveal it. He not only brings it to us, he keeps it there. He dwells in. Matter of fact, the more we read the Word, then it'll stir it back up. And then He'll teach us a little bit more on that. And He'll build upon that line upon line, precept upon precept. The Holy Spirit is the one who keeps us safe. Holy Spirit is teaching us. Holy Spirit will bring this forth. But we have to exercise our mind. The renewing of the mind has to happen. So the Word of God and the Spirit of God both have to go together. If you have somebody that says... Oh, you know what? I have the Spirit of God and I don't need to read the Bible because I have the Spirit and He reveals things to me all the time. You can't have the Spirit of God working in you unless you have the Word of God working in you. The two hand in hand. Exactly. Exactly. That's, that's what He does. He illumines. He, he turns on the big flashlight on the Word of God and makes it come alive, doesn't He? Well, the first time some of these truths came to you, it was like the light came on. Just almost sometimes instantly and sometimes over a period of time. But it's like, wow, the light is on. I get it. I get it. Thank you, Lord. 1 Corinthians 3.18 Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool. 
that he may become wise. We're talking about have God's wisdom, not the wisdom that is uh, of the world. And pride yourself in that. It's it's good to have some wisdom, the, the, the things that are out there, to knowing what's happening, happening scientifically, technologically, and those things that we can use to further the kingdom. But um makes me think of Matthew 11.25, though. I love that section. Um, talking about the wisdom of God and the wisdom that is granted to us. And you'll remember this verse. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise of the world and the prudent and have revealed them to babes. What was that again? That was 11.25, Matthew. Matthew. A little sarcasm there. that uh, Did you find him there? We're like infants. Christians are are like infants in that way, yet God uh, reveals to us, who are like infants, these great truths of who Christ is, the Gospel is, and what these deep things of God are. Oh, the wise. So, so you know, talk about Bill the whole time here. We are. Not many are wise. I'm the most foolish wise I know. Now, that's, that's um, Sophia. And there's another word. Wisdom and understanding. Do you, what do you guys have in your translations there? Back to Ephesians. I have a word called prudence. I don't know if that's a better, a good translation. Insight is really good. And we'll see why. Uh, insight is whenever you see what that truth is and you're able to not only understand it, but now you're to take it, you can take it into your life and not only use it but it brings in the whole self it brings in the emotions the affections that are involved in this so you know you have wisdom here about understanding of ultimate things but it's it's bringing it into everyday life applying the affections with understanding so he uses those two words to bring the fullness then of what it is to know what those riches of God are it's the ability to discern what the excellency of the things of God are. To have affection toward it, the whole soul. Um, you remember when uh, that word, phronesis, is used in Matthew 16, where Jesus says um, he's going to have to die, and Peter says, Oh, no, 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 you don't have to die, Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Get thee behind me. Satan, you are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God. (laughs) You are not having practical understanding. You're not comprehending this. You don't have the ability to discern the excellent things of God. (laughs) So right then, Peter was the chief of sinners. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, he's telling exactly opposite of what Christ came here to do, wasn't he? His mind was not on the things of God, was it? And that was the thing of God. (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, that's where the word phronesis is actually used there. Uh, let's look at another one. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Again, he'll use that word phronesis, or understanding. For those who live according to the flesh set their phronesis, their minds, on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, ones who are Christians, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit, don't they? So if one's an unbeliever, they don't set their minds. You're talking about more than your mind, though. You're talking about your affection. Yeah, your whole self. Not just a, It is dealing with mind, but even more than that. The whole affections uh, with understanding. Having understanding of the things of God. Does that make sense? Well, that makes a whole lot of sense further on in that section. For, like in verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death. Yeah. yeah, if you start looking at that that word and you start thinking of your your affection, your, and then it says, set the mind on flesh is death." Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and the more he expands on it, it's, wow. Yeah. I, wow. That's that's what he's doing there. Renewed by the spirit. Exactly. It's all, and this is all glory to God in this because we cannot. If a natural man cannot do that, then our flesh cannot do that. But it's the very, very spirit of God that's doing it. Uh, one more on that word phronesis or uh, understanding. Uh, Colossians, and this is a probably a famous verse to you, Colossians three, two. Set your mind, your phronesis, your understanding, your comprehension, your uh, everyday living, applying the affections. Set your everyday living and affections on things above, not on things on the earth. On the earth, uh, on the heavenly things, right? Set your mind, your affections, your everyday living, all that comes into discerning this. So, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Your, your heart, your, your whole, right? And that would be your whole inner being, your inner man, yeah. Yeah, so wisdom and understanding, would you consider them to be gifts? They're not something that we had of ourselves, right? And it, they are gifts that accompany the very bestowing of God's gifts and it makes possible us being able to perceive the very will of God who is not in a body standing here and and we know about that but we can perceive this eternal infinite God and we can understand uh, his will with and as you look at the following verses that uh, proceed out of this in verse uh, 8 that goes into verse 9, having made known the mystery of his will. Uh, Paul's point is that God just lavishes grace on us. He uh, superabounds. He abounds all that grace to us that we can understand and understand more of the, the deep things of God. Spiritual insight. Insight. Insight into that truth. Living in the light of what uh, Christ has done in us. So, all the knowledge that we can have 
of the things of the world and in science and in technology and then advancing all the way through from the centuries before us all the way into where we're at now, all the way on into the future. And it doesn't make a bit of difference as far as, far as spiritual truth is concerned. It's, ir- it's ir- I guess, irrelevant. All of this great stuff that man is coming up with and it's incredible things leaping into amazing technology and yet it has nothing to do with this thought here. It's much better. So it means Scripture has to be our sole authority and the Holy Spirit has to be the one to help us understand the Scriptures or enlighten us Right? It's a, he's essential. Holy Spirit is essential. Scripture is essential. And that's the kind of understanding and uh, wisdom that he's talking about there in verse 8. Well, next week we'll go into the mystery of his good will, uh, of his will and his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, <laughs> into verse 9 and maybe on into, into 10 there. We. <coughs> We're making progress as we go through Ephesians. <laughs> it's all His good pleasure. You know, I've got a feeling God has to be pleased with being able to take our <coughs> finite minds and be able to put a little bit of truth in us so that we can understand some of these things. It's Him doing it. You know, we can't. Well, there's no glory that we we can claim at all. But yet, he takes these minds and puts, an, I guess, an infinite amount of, of grace into us. We don't understand all the grace gifts that have been given, do we? That's why. That's what Ephesians is about. And when you get to the end of this chapter and you get into that prayer, <laughs> then we can see why. He would uh, want them to have the understanding of the things of God. Wow. Anybody have any uh, closing comments? Any?